you coming this morning. Coffee will be ready in a couple of minutes. Oh, sounds good. Now, I ran a sales report from the area. Wrote down a suggested asking price for the house. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Now, what did you say your husband did for a living? Um, well, we actually haven't talked about that, but he's a sales rep for Brightwell Pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. And uh, where did you say you attended church? Well, we occasionally attend Riverdale Community. Mm-hmm. So you would say you know the Lord? Yes, I would say I know the Lord. You think the Lord is okay with this asking price? Mm-hmm. And you have children? Miss Clara, my husband Tony and I have been married for 16 years. We have one daughter, her name is Danielle, and she's 10. She enjoys pop music and ice cream and jumping rope. Oh, that's good to know. Now, you say you attend church occasionally. Is that because your pastor only preaches occasionally? Miss Clara, I really would like to help you sell your house. That's why I'm here. As far as my faith is concerned, I believe in God, just like most people. He's very important to me. Mm-hmm. Well, let me get our coffee. So if I asked you what your prayer life was like, would you say that it was hot or cold? I don't know that I would say it's hot. I mean, we're like most people. We have full schedules. We work. But I, I would consider myself a spiritual person. I'm not hot, but I'm not cold either. Just, you know, somewhere in the middle. Here you go. I've got cream of sugar if you need Oh, no, thank you. I like it black. Miss Clara, you like your coffee room temperature? No, baby, mine's hot. Good stuff, huh? You know, I gotta say this morning too, Dan, Dan, you read my mind today. Oh, you're my voice. <laughs> That's right. Dan Johnson has brought me the greatest gift ever, and he brought me a cup of hot, mm, hot tea. It's tasted just, it's seasoned just right. It's perfect. So thank you so much. And you didn't even know I preached on today. That's, that's pretty cool. It's like a more of, of a little illustration there. Man, it's good to have hot coffee and hot tea when it's supposed to be, isn't it? Right? And, and so, man, if you've been with us at all the last few weeks, uh, or really much this summer, we've been talking about the seven churches in Revelation. How many of y'all have enjoyed this series as, as much as I have? And so, I'm, I'm a little biased. I have to preach it. But, you know, it's been wonderful. I've, I've heard from a lot of you guys that just how it's challenged you and blessed you and such. I'm really grateful for that. And today's the last day. And so next week we're starting a brand new series, which you're gonna, not going to want to miss, called Better Together. We're going to talk some vision for the future. We're going to talk about some changes and just some different things. Now, discipleship, you are, you are not going to want to miss a Sunday in September. It's going to be great. And you get to know a lot about where we're going with some things that, and, in our church. But uh, this morning we're going to finish out this series. And by watching that, if you know a little bit about Scripture, if you've been around church at all, uh, if you've heard preaching on such, you may know, and if you haven't been, I'll, I'll let you know, you may know that that passage or that video there, that little moment, is, a, is an allusion to a very well-known Scripture in the Bible. And that script allusion is what we're talking about this morning. We are talking about the church today at Laodicea. So if you would, open your Bibles today to Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to kind of work through 14 through 22 today. Now, I, I got to stop for a minute, go there, but I got to pause for a minute because there might be someone here who's like, you were that kid in school who like the teacher missed something. You're like, hey, teacher, you know, and they're like, you forgot something. And so someone has said, hey, you never talked about Sardis. And if, you, if that's you, uh, you are a great student, number one. You get a Pop-Tart. But also, uh, you may not realize that, that the Sardis message and the one for today is very similar. So I kind of took that one and rolled into this one today. So that's kind of where that one is. And some of you guys are like, I even thought about that. But if you're a nerd here like me, you might have thought that today. So that was for you to today, for all the nerds in the room. But, but I'm going to kind of set today up with this. Um, 
this is the kind of idea I want to start off with. And this is the idea. There are many Christians, or, or people really, we'll say, who believe in Jesus, but live as if he doesn't exist. That's not really, you know, news to us, right? The, the, the polls say and, and stats say that about 97% of Americans believe in some sort of deity. There's, uh, that, you know, and that could be God, it could be Allah, it could be whatever, it could be, you know, that they're, they're treated the front yards of God, but whatever. 97% of Americans believe in some sort of a deity. And because of our heritage, I would guess, and you probably could too, that a good majority of that 97% would believe in that deity being God of the Bible, right? But now here's the question, because the God of the Bible has some big challenges for us, so would you say that those people, all of those people would tell you that they are living as God has called them to live? Of course, the answer probably would be, would be no, right? That's just the, just the truth. And so some do, but, you know, people might say, well, I, you know, I believe in God, but I don't want to be one of those crazy people. You know, I don't want to be one of those, 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 those nuts, you know, those nuts like passion. No, no, those nuts, you know, I don't want to be that kind of a person. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking if you're about my age, you were a Christian kid back in the 90s, maybe you're singing in your head right now, Jesus Freak by DC Talk. Is all I can think about right now. You, you know, as I, as I read this, you know, but, but that's kind of the idea. I don't want to be a fanatic. And, and that's, the, that's the, the, the heritage, and that's kind of the picture with where we're going today. We're going to travel today to Laodicea. Laodicea was a city in modern-day Turkey, and Laodicea was very interesting. It was on a several hundred-foot-tall plateau. Now, a plateau is like a big table, essentially. And so Laodicea was seated on this table, and because of that, Laodicea was almost impossible to attack. What you may not know about Laodicea is it was very, very secure. Because, because of its location, they could see from all angles and all spots. And so it was impossible to attack Laodicea. And also because of its location, everywhere you looked was a million-dollar view. You know, not like my backyard, which is, you know, in Big Lake, and it used to be a cornfield, and so it's not a, a million-dollar view. You know, Laodicea was beautiful. Because of that, it was also extremely wealthy. Laodicea is, was a wealthy place. Last week we talked about Thyatira. Thyatira was a very blue-collar city. Thyatira was uh, very poor. And, and if that was a poor city, this city today was the opposite in many ways. Actually, uh, this city, Laodicea, was the most wealthy of all seven cities in Revelation. Laodicea was quite a place. They were, they were known for a few things. They were known for wool trade. Now, they didn't mess with raising, you know, the lambs for wool and such. They didn't do that. They were the traders, and they were the ones who made the clothing. Laodicea was considered a very cosmopolitan, a, a very fashion center of the world at this point. Many, many, many things came out of Laodicea. So it would have been, they probably would have had the, the runways with the weird looking models with boxes and weird things on, you know, the creative, whatever. That was Laodicea. It was a fashion center. Laodicea was also a medical center. Laodicea had the, one of the world's foremost medical schools of its time. And you know, sometimes we can kind of look back and say, well, they were, you know, they were so, we're so advanced now and they were so archaic and such, but we can't think that with Laodicea. Many things that we now take for granted come from this period of time. Uh, Laodicea invented and sold throughout the world a, an eye salve. Now, I don't really know what it did. I don't know if it made you see or whatever, but it was supposedly very famous. It made them a ton of money, and Laodicea was known worldwide as a center for this eye salve. And if you wanted it, you sent to Laodicea to get it. So that, that's what they were known for. They also were known as a banking center. And this potentially was the largest, most important part of this city. Laodicea held in deposit much of the riches of this part of the world. They were not necessarily all located in Rome. This was a part of the Roman Empire, but they were found in Laodicea. And Laodicea was a huge, huge place. They made tons of money. In fact, 
at one point, and I've got to get the, the years down here correctly, but in A.D. 60, which is 35 years before Revelation was written, they had a massive earthquake. And it literally destroyed the city. And of course, we've talked about that earthquake some, because much of what we've talked about here in Revelation felt this earthquake. And Laodicea, they were offered help from Rome to come in and rebuild the city, which is often what happened. They were a part of the Roman Empire and such. And so, well, they refused that help because they wanted to build their city larger and more opulent and more beautiful than it was before. So some people and some historians find writings that say they were actually thankful for this moment because they got to build bigger, stronger, greater. And, and that's what they did. The city they built after this, that this earthquake was the most beautiful, most opulent, incredible place there was. There was large houses. There was beautiful bathhouses. There was all kinds of stuff. They had, they had large theaters, some of the largest and most beautiful there were. Uh, they had a shopping mall, believe it or not, where they actually had a mall uh, down in Main Street filled with stores and such. I mean, it was quite a place. One commentator I read said it was a lot like Vegas in a lot of ways. Now, I've not been to Vegas, but I want to go. And the reason, you're like, oh, you want to go to Vegas? Well, this is why. Vegas has this, like, 50-story tall building with a roller coaster around it. I am riding that before I die, okay? I'm just, it's going to happen. And so that's why I want to go. It's supposedly just, you know, quite a sight. That's Laodicea. Because, of course, with all the opulence and beauty was also all of the sin and all the stuff, too. And so, so that's Laodicea. So listen today to Jesus' words to this church in this city. Verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3, it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your what? I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. See, this tells us something here that you can say you believe what you want to say you believe, but your actions prove that, don't they? I could say that I believe in Santa Claus, but if all I ever do is, is say that I don't believe in Santa Claus, if my actions tell my kids that he doesn't exist, which I won't do that today to you guys, but, you know, I can say all I want, I believe, but if my actions say otherwise, my actions yell so loud you can't hear what I say, right? See, that's the case here in this passage. These people needed that kind of lesson. In fact, here's the truth. How we live reflects what we actually believe. So because you are, and this is today's key word, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I have acquired wealth, and I don't need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 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 I almost was like a southern guy there. Uh, I, I counsel you to buy gold for me, refine in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Now, some of you guys are pretty intuitive. You're like, wow, I just heard about some of those things. This is interesting. Uh, verse 18, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, repent. And then Jesus extends an amazing invitation. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they will eat with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now something there sticks out more, at least to me anyway, more than anything else. And to kind of illustrate that, I want you to watch this little video here. And you're going to see uh, maybe a little bit about what sticks out here to myself. Happy birthday, dear Make a wish, Norm. 
my goodness. When I first saw that, I watched that video like 30 times, man. I was like, I asked the staff, I said, guys, should I show this? They're like, yes, do it. I'm like, okay, I'm doing it. But, but that's what sticks out, doesn't it? If you've heard this passage before, that's what kind of seems to shout the loudest. The spitting out of the mouth here. You know, and it's, what's interesting is that Dan brought me, again, he brought me this wonderful hot drink today. And, and when I, if you have your teeth still, uh, I'll illustrate this in a, in a little different way. If you have a hot drink, you want that drink hot, don't you? I don't like, I, I love coffee, um, but I want my coffee, you know, hot. And, and, but the opposite is true as well. Cold coffee is also good, right? If it's really cold. Uh, I can't have hot coffee after about, no, mid, about noon or so. I just can't do it. So all, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, 20 below outside. I have cold coffee in the middle of winter if it's the evening or the afternoon because cold coffee is good. But what's not good is when it is lukewarm. I, I write my messages oftentimes at Caribou on Wednesdays. And so I sit there for hours. And generally speaking, and they get to know me a little bit, so I, get, I, I just go back and get coffee all the time, and I get as much as I want, which is scary, because on Wednesdays, if you talk to me, I might be a little jam, jam, amped up, but uh, I'll, I'll usually at some point take a drink of my coffee after sitting there for a couple hours, and it's nasty, because it has been sitting out for a long time. It's lukewarm. It's hard to avoid that lukewarm situation, and so this is kind of the idea for this church right here in this in this spot, but what you may not realize is it doesn't just go to how we think about hot and cold. There's an interesting uh, thing about Laodicea I left out till now, and it's this. Laodicea had a very, very complex, very incredible system of aqueducts. Now, I got a picture here for you to kind of see what they look like. Uh, you, again, may see this and think, well, that's just the old time, that's just the way it was. Before, what you don't realize that these aqueducts actually were extremely advanced. To be honest with you, much of this part of the world had pressurized water. They had water like we do similarly today. It was a very fascinating, very interesting, very, uh, very advanced system of plumbing. And because Laodicea was so wealthy and so opulent, they had one of the best in the world. What's, what's interesting, because of their, their, their position, uh, they had access to these ice-cold mountain springs with fresh, cold water, and they also had access to hot springs that were both just about the same distance away. So what they would do is they, would, they had two different systems in place to pipe this water in from the cold springs and from the hot springs. So what this meant for us is if you were invited to my house and I was an important person, and I invited you, and you were an important person. If you came to my house for a dinner sometime, you and I would be the first ones served. And we would receive a hot or a cold drink. Because a hot or a cold drink in this part of the world was considered a luxury and was wonderful, and it was available. Because when they opened the gates to receive the water, it was hot and it was, or it was cold. But the problem was, was that once that water came into the house, and after a little bit, it became what you would normally think, it became lukewarm. So, if you were not as wonderful as us, and you were somebody else, you would receive the seconds of the water. You would receive the lukewarm water as your drink. Also, because of this city and where it was, and a lot of stuff today, because of where it was, because of the situation, they had bathhouses. And bathhouses were a very similar situation. You wanted a hot bath. How many of you love a hot bath, right? I mean, it, it feels pretty good. And so you could have that if you were important. And so they had hot baths, and there are many public. And you think, that's disgusting. Well, back then, that's kind of how their culture was. They would take baths and these public baths. And, and the public baths were reserved for the rich and beautiful and famous. And so if you were rich, beautiful, or famous, you got first access to the hot bath. But if you were not rich, beautiful, or famous, if you were like, you know, like me, whatever, you were just an average person, you did not get those things. What you got is you got the leftovers. And so, yes, the water would have been, you know, kind of gross because it had already been used, and, and it would have been lukewarm. 
So when Jesus says these words, he's not only talking about a hot or a cold idea like we think of hot or cold as coffee. He's also establishing something deep to this culture. That this was a issue and this was a question of pride. It was a question and an issue of importance and value. To be honest with you this morning, it meant that you were dishonored if you received a lukewarm water. It was dishonorable. And, and, and these people would have seen it that way. And again, because the text shows us that. And, and so Jesus says, I'd rather you were hot or cold, but you're neither. So I'm about to do what? I'm, a, I'm about to, and that's an important word, about. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now the word spit there is not just spit. It just really isn't. It's used one time in, in the Greek. The one time is here. And the word for spit here in this place is to be utterly repulsed as far as expulging your inner parts of your body. You know, it's puking, basically. That's, that's what this word says. So Jesus here says that what you're doing is so dishonorable, it's so awful, it's so nasty that it makes me want to hurl. Now you're like, oh no, where is he going right now? And you're nervous right now. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid on the bus... You know it. I was in the kid on the bus, and I sat in the back, and I had a very weak stomach. And I remember this kid got sick, and it, then I smelled it, and all that it took was in for me to get sick. And then it was like this whole issue, and all those kids got sick. It was just disgusting. I felt bad for the bus driver, and some of your, 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 your faces are like, ugh, that's disgusting. I want you to feel that way because that's what this talks about. And when Jesus says these words, it's not just like this kind of, you know, he, you drink a, a, a warm drink and it's lukewarm. Ah, it's gross. It is repulsive. The repulsive idea. That's the word right here. And so, and, and Jesus has some strong words for people like that. So the question comes, is it even possible to be a lukewarm Christian? See, a lot of ways, that's like an oxymoron. And what is an oxymoron? It's not what you call your spouse. Don't do that. An oxymoron is when you put two opposite words together to prove a point, right? Things like genuine imitation. You know, we, we have a couch, and our couch is genuine imitation leather. That's what it says on there. You, you know, and so uh, it's not leather. It's not pleather. It's this, like, mixture of the two. It's genuine imitation. Uh, jumbo shrimp, right? That's not a very normal idea. There's act naturally. Right? Now that's funny, right? That's like two ideas. Here's my favorite one. Microsoft works. I'm, I'm an Apple guy, so, you know, figure that out. But, and then the best one is government efficiency. That's the best one of all, of all those things. But so Jesus is taking an idea here and helping us to understand that the idea, the very words, lukewarm Christian is an oxymoron. It's not how it works. Now I thought about this this week. I said, what does it mean to be a lukewarm Christian? Because I've heard this a, a lot in my life. Again, I was raised in this very church. And because I was raised in this church, because of the nature of the assemblies of God, we've heard a lot about holiness and lukewarm and such. So I consider myself an expert on lukewarm Christianity because I've heard it a lot in my life. But I still thought, I said, what does this mean? And I will tell you, there's a guy who wrote a book, one of my favorite authors, uh, Francis Chan, who wrote a book years ago called Crazy Love. It's one of my top favorite books of all time. And in that book, he describes what this is. He uses some, he uses a list that is so good, and I can't copy it better than he can say it, so I'm just going to say what he, what he said. And so here's the list, according to him, of what it means to be a lukewarm Christian. Number one. Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when there's a conflict between popular and right. Lukewarm Christians don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want only to be saved from the penalty of their sin. Lukewarm people are moved to st by stories of people who do radical things for Christ, yet they themselves do not act. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith. Lukewarm people gauge their morality or their goodness by comparing themselves to other people. Uh, lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and he is a part of their lives uh, and, and such, 
but he isn't allowed control of their lives. Lukewarm people will serve, but there are limits as to how far they'll go. Lukewarm people think about life on earth much more than eternity in heaven. That's why, I'm going to pause here, that's why it's so important for us to understand and study the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation shows us what's coming afterwards. It shows Jesus as a victorious, as the victorious one. It shows us what's coming and what's happening. And we, we, we shy away from parts of the Bible when we only preach a, a, a few slices and not the whole loaf of the word. We are missing parts. And so if you say, why talk about Revelation? That's why. Uh, because it is so important for us to understand this. Okay, unpause. Lukewarm people are motivated to do whatever they can to minimize their guilt. Lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are structured in a way that they never have to. Oh man, could I preach on these? Lukewarm people probably swear less than average, but besides that, they are rarely any different from your typical unbeliever. Now that list I thought was such a, a, a great list. To be honest, there's actually more that he has, but I, I didn't want to walk through this whole thing. But it's such a great indication and a description of what it means to be lukewarm. And Jesus has some strong words to people like this. He says, they're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now I got a confession. If I'm hanging with Jesus and him and I are having coffee someday, and I have a nice drink of lukewarm water, and he says, Steve, that water's like you. You are wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked. I would say, what? I'll be honest with you. I never want to hear my Lord say that about me. I never want to hear those things happen. And what's amazing here is that we don't have to hear those things. Because if this was the text stopped, okay, if it stopped right here, you would expect the next verse to be the most interesting verse in the Bible. You expect it to be Jesus going, you know, like, I can't do it good, because whatever, but you know what I'm talking like, hawking a big loogie, right? Because he says he's about to do this, but the good news is that he doesn't do that. Now, here's the deal. He would be with, well within his rights. He's explained it. These people should know better. And frankly, today, I can understand and I can relate to where they are at. I'll be honest, in my life, I have at times struggled with being lukewarm. And I can guarantee I'm not in bad company because you have also at times struggled with this as well, right? You take a bottle of water and you sit it out and it sits there for a while. If you don't do something to it, if you don't introduce something to it, it can be as hot as could be or it can be as cold as could be, but eventually it's going to become lukewarm. And that's the nature for believers. When Jesus preaches this message, when he gives this letter, he is talking to people that get it because all of us have probably been here at some point. And Jesus could have easily said, that's it. You're done. I'm going to spit you out like, you know, like, like Donald Trump. You know, you're fired. He could have done that. But he doesn't. You see, he continues here, and he gives a way out. So often this passage is only preached to this point, or it's preached out of context. And that's why you have to take the whole loaf. Because when he continues here, what he says is so valuable and so important. He gives a way out, and the way out of this is by letting him in. He gives us this thought for thought in the next verse here, verse 18. I'm going to walk through this. Thought for thought. In verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich. When he says buy it from me, or maybe you might, yours might say trade with me, when he has this, it gives us an understanding of something that this has to be a conscious act. There has to be a, a conscious act here, a conscious understanding, and this is what it is, that I need something from Jesus. I need something from him. And that's where this gets so hard. That's where this church in Laodicea lost their way because they didn't really need anything, right? I mean, for Pete's sake, they had hot water coming in and they had cold water, they had banks and they had so much money, they didn't need Rome. 
You know, they had, they invented salve. They, I mean, this was a place that didn't need a thing. You might say, I'm not rich. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't have a ton of money. I, I struggle and such. And, and, and that's very true. And probably most of us are not rich here today. If you are, you know, hey, you're, you're hiding it good. But, you know, we're, we're, we're not probably rich. But the reality is, is that we are kind of in the same boat with Laodicea. We don't really need Jesus for anything, right? I mean, we got our food, we got our clothes, we got our, our, our shelter provided, our, our, our lives are pretty good, we got great educations, we got, you know, we got cars, we got, I mean, your car may be a beater and a jalopy, but you got one, right? Your house may be not great, but you got one, right? I mean, that's the case, is we don't really need a lot from Jesus. We can go through our lives, much like Laodicea, and find ourselves at one time hot or cold, but then we set ourselves on the table, and things just kind of stay there, and we become stagnant. And Jesus here gives us the way out of that. He says, you have to come to the place first where you understand you need something from me. And the next big question, you might say, well, what is that? I'm glad you asked, because he, he answers us here in two ways. He says, he continues, he says, I will give you white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Now, now think back to the context of where we are with this, this city. This is, a, this is a wealthy, proud, prideful, beautiful city full of beautiful people, full of people that are that have beautiful clothes. They pride themselves on that. They are fashionable. They, you know, they dress just like I do. I mean, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're just, they, they got it going on. And so when Jesus here says, you have no idea that you are, you, you need from me clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. They failed to realize that they were naked. They were embarrassed. And that was a shameful thing. Remember, it was a shameful thing to have, have lukewarm water. See, here's the truth. Living as a lukewarm Christian is shameful. Like, wow, that's a pretty big statement to say, Pastor. Uh, that's a pretty big thing to say. That's what Jesus is saying here in this passage. See, he's saying, I want you were hot or you're cold because you're hot or cold. That's one thing, but you're not. You're lukewarm. You're in the middle. And that's a, not a good thing. It's shameful. Because it's shameful that we have the, the, the word, we have Jesus, we have the power and, and the authority available to us, but yet we find ourselves so often struggling in that area so deeply that we fail to realize we need something from him. And because we don't do that, we're actually quite shameful. There's nothing worse than a person who says, I believe in Jesus. He is my everything. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And then one moment later, go out and do something that completely goes against that. Not only is it foolish, it's shameful. The church, the reality is that Jesus Christ is the one who saves. He's the one who heals. He's done some incredible things. And if we know him, if we have him, if we have the knowledge and understanding of him and yet do nothing about that, it's not just a bad day. It's shameful. I said, well, that's, man, that's a hard word. We'll get good thing that it's not, it's not finished yet because he continues here. He, he says, you're lukewarm. You'll, you'll probably never see it. So, Jesus will give you salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Again, cultural application. He's talking to a people who wrote the book on seeing. He's talking to people who wrote the book, who everyone comes to these people to see. They are well-known. They are famous. They are wealthy from this. You come all over the world for this purpose. And he says, guess what? You don't have it. You can't see. You see, you need something from me so you can cover your shamefulness so then you will be able to see. I, I, I love this. And again, there's so much, so much, so much here this, this day, but this speaks a lot too. It's kind of where we were last week in that so often we are tempted to gain our value and our acceptance on what we do, not based on who we are. 
But if I'm a carpenter or if I'm a banker or if I'm an ISAV maker or whatever else, that's where my joy, that's where my accomplishment, that's where my life is. It's in those things. When Jesus comes to kind of mess that ideal up and say, no, your value is not in what you do, is not in what you produce and make, your value is in who you are. Jesus shows them their accomplishment, as great as it was, wasn't still going to be enough. And that's a, that's a big thing. And again, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I, I talked about this last week a little bit, but it's so important for us to see this and understand this. We, we need from Jesus. We need to be clothed because being naked in his presence is shameful. These things, he, he walks through this, and this puts us in a tough place. Again, if this is where it has stopped, if this is where this ended, and he said, so guess what? Because of that, I was before about to spit you out of my mouth. Now it's coming. If he did that here, he'd be well within his rights. But he does not. Thankfully, this scripture continues. And he continues in verse 19. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. You know, there's some people who can't get into the idea of a God who disciplines. God can't do that. God doesn't live like that. God's a God of love. Jesus was a dude who, who kind of floated along, you know, and he wore the, the aqua-colored sash, and he had a peace sign. And, you know, that's the Jesus I want to believe in, not this God that's retributive. And, and this, that's not God. And, and the truth today is this. That's not God. God's not this angry being just wanting to throw down fireworks or whatever at us. That's not him at all either. I and mean, we oftentimes get so far on one side of the fence or the other side of the fence that we miss the truth altogether. That God has called us to walk down the middle. That God is a God of grace and mercy. And God is a God of, 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 of judgment and, and, and of discipline. And see, here's the deal. Is I have two girls that I love more than anything. I love them way more than I love any of you guys. I, I, my wife's not here right now, so I, I love my girls so much. I would do anything for them. But I will tell you this. When my girls are naughty, guess what? I discipline. When my girls are wrong, when they're in, they're in the wrong, I don't just say, well, I'm a daddy of love. I'm a daddy of mercy. I'm a daddy of just grace. So, sweetie, if you want to just do whatever you're going to do, you want to steal, you want that's okay because I love you. No. Because I love my girls, because I have what's best for them in mind, because I have experience, because I see a little further out than they do, believe it or not, they don't know that, but because of those things, because of that, I am a daddy who disciplines my kids. I don't do it with anger. I don't do it with a, you know, a, with, with, with a heart of, of vengeance and, and, and upsetness. I do it with a heart of Redemption. I want my girls to grow up to be men, or be, men, be women of God, of revolutionaries, of young people that will do something great. And I know that to get there, they'll need what I needed, and that's discipline. You see, God is a God of discipline and rebuke because he loves us. So, he says, be earnest and repent. Again, many times this idea stops here. You need to repent. You need to be earnest. You need to work. You need to try. And see, so often in my life, that's been my understanding of this whole concept. But Jesus continues because he continues this most amazing invitation in verse 20. He says, here I am. Here I am, you've missed it. Here I am, you who are naked, who are blind, who don't even know it. You who have messed up. You who are broken. You who are this, this, and this. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. I, I close this morning with, with this. Some people can't handle this verse. And Lori, I'll call you in a minute here. But some can't handle this verse. So they become at peace with it by changing the context. You're a lukewarm Christian. You might say, well, that's... That's, that's for, that's for non-believers. That's for people who are cold. That's for people who don't get it. That's, that's not me. But, but, but look at what the context says here. See, he's not talking to people who are not believers. 
is he? See, that's not the doors on whom he is knocking. Lukewarm Christians, an oxymoron, which is not possible, they have no idea that he is standing at the door of their hearts and knocking. And what's interesting is he is outside of the door, right? He's not in there. Oh, he's in my heart, but he is saying he's on the outside looking in, on the outside knocking in, saying, will you let me? knocking before, and the longer you're lukewarm, the better we get at refusing to knock. I speak as a man of experience in this, okay? I, I'm, I've been here before. I'm not here pointing a finger. I'm here just this morning to tell you that I have been broken myself. The longer we do this, the easier it is to say no. Jesus, come back later when I have more money. Come back when I have less money. Come back when I have a girlfriend or when I have a boyfriend or come back when I have this or when I'm married or when, come back when I'm divorced, you know, or come back, Lord, come back when I have more time or Lord, I have just less time. Like, Lord, come back another time. Because right now, I, I, just, I just can't right now. He stands at the door and he continues and walks and continues and knocks. And if you get nothing else today, I have pointed it up to this moment this morning. If you hear nothing else today, I hope that this is what you hear this morning. Because it comes to a big question in our hearts. Why don't we let him in? Why, when we know he's knocking, why don't we let him in? Again, I think a lot of us probably would never say, well, I don't care about Jesus. I don't care. No, the very nature of a lukewarm Christian says, why? I, I know God, I love God, but yet I found myself in those areas. But why don't we let him in? So I, I think the reason is because we are, we are confused about what he wants. We're confused about what he wants. I'm going to try to get through this here. Because God's broken me over this. What does he want from me? When he's knocking, what does he want from me? You want my money or my wife or my spouse? What you know? If I let him in, what, what's going to change? Because I like my life right now the way it is. If he's knocking, I let him in. Everything's going to be—he's going to mess it all up. What does he want from me? See, we get confused by what he wants from us. What do I got to give up? What do I? What is he going to make me do? Is he going to make me move to Africa and become a missionary? I got to move to Alaska or? Moved to Iowa? I mean, no way, not that. That'd be terrible. <laughs> you see, here's the, here's the deal, church. Thinking like that has led to more closed doors than any other kind of thinking, period. God, what do you want from me? Well, he, he wants from you what he tells you that he wants from you because he shows it right here. Back to verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Church, this speaks of relationship. See, when you hear knocking, you may hear, I want to come in and change you. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. He is going to change you. You may hear of things you're going to have to give up, and I will be honest with you. You will give things up. You may hear, well, God, you're going to make me move? And you might have to move. But here's the good news, is that when you do these things, you're not doing them because you're earning your salvation or you're working hard, or you're trying to prove something, a point. No, you're doing it because he has powered you to this, because he has called you to this, because he has changed you to become what you need to be. You see, you think Jesus just wants to come into your life so he can just have something from you? What kind of God would that be? You think he wants to come into your life so that you can, so that he can just, you know, like, it's like a, like a door-to-door salesman? You know, he's got the little tag, and he's like, I want to sell you a vacuum cleaner. Let me come in. No. 
what he's saying is he wants to come in because he wants to eat with us. Oh, if I could spend time on that. The nature of the meal in ancient Israel. The time and the effort that took to prepare this meal. The relationships that were forged and, and built. The time spent reclining at the table. They weren't McDonald's meals. They weren't just, you know, running through the McDonald's to get a quick bite to eat. They, were, they spent time as they ate. And, and, and when he talks about this, he talks about the nature of relationship. That's what he wants from you. See, your relationship with Jesus will change your life. You know that, right? Including your wants. There's an old song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And as I, as I, I prepared this message this week, this is all I could think about, was turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, when he knocks on the door of our hearts, we get it backwards sometimes. Jesus, you're going to take everything from me. I can't let you in right now because he's going to, no, he, you let him in, he will heal you and he'll change you and he'll make you what you've always wanted to be all your life. But it's hard to see that unless you, under, unless you open the door of your heart to him. And again, I'm not talking to well, I am to non-believers, but I'm, I'm talking more today to believers because that's who he's talking to. Because there are people here today who he is knocking on the door of your heart and he is outside the door and you don't even know it. And he's knocking on the door of your heart and it's not a message today to put my finger at you and say, you're wrong, I'm right. I have been where you sat. I have felt the shame and the, I felt the weight of of, of, of shame and the weight of condemnation in my heart because I felt, God, I'm not enough for you. And every time I try, it just doesn't work. But I fail to realize what this passage tells me and teaches me. He doesn't want all your stuff. He wants you today. And then your stuff will change. I, I illustrate with, with this. I, I remember years ago going to a, a home of an older person couple, and they had this old school console TV. It was big, it's fat, it was like a zenith, you know, it had a, had a cord actually between the TV and the, the remote, it actually had a remote, and I was talking about their TV, it was this big, you know, huge thing, and it was, it was heavy, and probably weighed about 800 pounds, and I was saying, you guys should get a new TV, and, and they said, why? This one works just fine. They said, we spent a lot of money on this TV back, you know, 40 years or whatever it was. Like, why, why, this one works just fine. And I said, because, man, if you ever saw what a football game looks like in 4K Ultra HD, you would look at this TV and say, what am I doing? What am I doing? This is ridiculous. This will, no. See, when you get a new perspective, it changes your wants and your desires. You see, so many of us have Christian lives that look like this old console TV that were great and wonderful and worked at one point and it was awesome and it was good but we've never moved beyond that spot and so Jesus is calling us to the ultra 4K life but we don't have the vision to do that because we say well this is just fine God I'm okay with this we fail to realize that we're blind naked, poor, wretched and pitiful heads bowed this morning, eyes closed across this room today you might be here this morning saying, Pastor, you were talking to me today, but I don't know Jesus. Or I'm far from him and I know that I am. I would consider myself outside of the family of God right now, and I know it, but I'm tired of it and I need him in my life. If that's you, you know it, he knows it. He's not here to cast a rock at you or to look at you and say, how dare you? He is here with arms wide open, knocking on the door of your heart. Will you let him in? I'm going to pray right now, and as I pray, if that's you, I want to encourage you to pray with me. This prayer is not magical. It's not some, you know, whatever. It's just a prayer. And this, I, this idea today is what you need to pray. If you are truly wanting to join his family, Jesus, I come to you right now with all my junk, 
There's a lot there. I don't understand it all, but I know you're the one. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my future. From this point forward, I'll be different. Forgive me. Clean me. Make me new, Lord Jesus. I want you to do what you said you would do and change me. I need that this morning, Jesus. So from this day forward, I'm going to let you into my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Heads bowed still, eyes closed. I want you to know that if you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant it, that that was your heart, that you were a part of the family of God. Now get ready because God's got good things for you. But you need to continue to let him speak in your life. Still, heads bowed, eyes closed. You're here today and you're saying, Pastor, you were talking to me today. And I'm part of God's family, but I'm lukewarm. I've missed it. I've messed up. I've, I, I've messed some things up, and I need Jesus in my life. I'm going to close in prayer in a moment, but I don't want you to close this time. These altars are open. The space is here. You can stay in your seat. You can come forward. Whatever, spend a little time with Jesus and allow him to speak in your life. If you don't, can't stay, I want to encourage you to find a spot today to get to a closet, to get someplace and say, Jesus, you're knocking on the door of my heart. And I respond. I open my heart to you. Lord, I'm sorry for saying that all these years it's been based on my works and my works and my works. Because, and that's got me no place. Jesus, I just want you. Lord, I want you in my life. Lord, I want to eat with you. I want to hang with you. Lord, I want to know what a relationship with you is. Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about my life differently. That Jesus, I need something from you. Lord, give me eyes to see. Lord, cover the shame of my life. I'll give it to you in Jesus' name. I pray.